Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Throughout the history of Kentucky basketball, there are great players and there are great nicknames. The Skywalker, the Master Blaster, Swoop, and the Big Dipper are just a few. But there's one name that will stand head and shoulders above the rest after you listen to him, Baby Magic. Standing at only 5'5", Leroy Bird was the smallest man on the court, but he had the biggest smile, the biggest personality, and the biggest heart. A product of Bryan Station High School, Leroy's basketball career led him to UNLV and coach Jerry Tarkanian. After one year at UNLV and a couple stops in junior college, Baby Magic came home to the University of Kentucky, where he became a fan favorite under coach Joby Hall and coach Eddie Sutton. We'll hear about his time at UNLV and his time at UK, including his thoughts on his former teammates and coaches, and of course, we'll hear where that infamous nickname came from. At 5'5", Leroy Bird proved that there was a place in college basketball for the little man. Leroy Bird faced adversity all of his life, from his height to injuries to tragedy, but he never gave up. You're going to enjoy Baby Magic, and most importantly, you're going to love his message. Leroy Bird is everything you would want out of a college basketball player. He's everything you would want out of a human being. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, and this is the story of Baby Magic, Leroy Bird. Leroy, you haven't changed a bit in 30 years. You got that great smile, still got that little gold tooth. How long have you had that gold tooth? Since probably a senior in high school. A senior in high school. Yes. <laughs> What's life been like these past 30 years? Well, it's been, it's been exciting been adventurous uh very enjoying you know just like everybody else's life but i've had a ma major tragic that happened in my life with my family and we had a ma major 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 tragedy but god's brought me through it he's brought my family through it and we're living testimony that you can you know i don't want to say overcome but you can get through what he wants you to get through and with the grace of his mercy we have made it this far you've always been one of my favorites as a person not just a player you always live your life like people should live their life and, and and let's go into a little bit after you left Kentucky and you've been with the city here uh, for 28 years with the uh, urban county corrections division mm -hmm. yes I've been with the city uh, the community corrections department for 28 years now and when I first got out of uh, UK I played basketball with the uh, Harlem Magicians. Marcus Haynes was the owner of the team at that time. And we traveled around, just like the whole Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters and played in a lot of games. and Did a lot of playing in penitentiaries and reservations, different kind of crowds, I tell you, different crowds. And I wound up breaking my nose playing in a penitentiary. And I once, it was in Illinois at a penitentiary up there. And that was my last array with the, <laughs> with the Harlem Magicians. 
did you keep playing pickup games even when you come back to Lexington? Played a lot of pickup games, and I wound up playing in the uh, World Basketball League, which started a new new uh, new season. And I played for the Vancouver Nighthawks, and it was about six to eight teams in the league at that time, and it was like six five and under, and we we made pretty good money when they paid us on time and the right amount. We we did pretty well, and it was exciting. I played against a. Uh, Sidney Lowe, Billy Ray Bates, uh, Derek Taylor to play at LSU. So, got to play against some great competition. Let's go back to your high school days. Bryan Station High uh, played in the state tournament in uh, 80. I graduated in 81, so it had to be 81, 80, 81 season, I guess. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, our senior year, it was an exciting year. We, was, we had a, a small team, but we had one powerful big man, Keith Berry. And Wim Connors, but he was a big guy, but still it was like 6'5", six, 6'4", six, which considered decent size for high school kids. And we was ranked number one in the state the whole year, and that was that was a great accomplishment for us to be ranked number one for the whole season. And I uh, accomplished a lot of individual goals, and I hadn't really set those goals for my basketball career, but the main goal I had set for my basketball career was to play major Division One basketball. But as I worked hard and continued to get better and grow and listen and take advice from people, I made almost, I think I made every all-tournament team that we played in the LITs, the Kentucky. I made first team defense, MVP of Lexington. I just had a great outstanding senior year. And the big push for me, and I tell kids this today, if somebody tells you you can't make it, you're too little, you're too small, this is the big man's game. I say, look at me. I said, hey, God got me through it. If it's meant for you, then you'll make it. Now, now let's get something corrected real quickly right up front. The old meeting out here at Kentucky when you arrived at Kentucky a few years later had you listed at 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> yes. Well, the actual truth to that is I'm about 5'3", no taller than 5'3 and a half. My doctor makes me take my shoes off when he measures my height, so it's about 5'3". <laughs> Uh, during during that period of time when you were playing at Bryan Station, at what point, uh, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, did you begin thinking about playing major college ball? And then tell me a little bit about who came to watch you, uh, the recruiting, the schools that you visited, and then your ultimate decision. Well, when I was a – we had 10th through 12th grade, our, our, our high school careers. So when I was a sophomore, I left Winburn Middle School. I had a great mentor by the name of Coach Watson. He was, he was a tough coach. I mean, he pushed you. He didn't care what age you were. You was going to play against the older guys. He said, hey, this is how you get better playing against the older guys, which I think is lacking in today's basketball with the younger kids. They don't get to play with the big guys and the older kids as much as we did. And when I got to Bryan Station, Coach Barlow, he uh, instilled enough interest in me and felt like that I could start varsity as a sophomore. So my first year in high school basketball, me and a guy named Eric Williams, the other guy just as small as me, we, we was a starting lineup for a high school basketball team, which was something. I said, hey, well, maybe I am better than I think I am. You know, <laughs> If a head coach tells me I'm going to start on this varsity team on my first year working out with them and playing with them and seeing us in pickup games and doing tryouts and he – pulls us to the side and tells us, hey, you guys can play. Y'all going to be on varsity. And I was like, wow. Never thought I would start varsity, but I knew I was on varsity. And then once we started playing and practicing, we earned a starting position. And 
that's when I said, hey, I got a chance to play somewhere. How important is it for you as a young kid to have the support and the confidence from your head coach to proceed forward to play the extra 10 minutes after practice to keep working even when you're not on the gym court? Well, to me, personally, I feel a coach can make or break you because that's who's going to put you in the game. That's who's going to take you out of the game. If your coach doesn't have enough confidence in you, then you're not going to succeed because you have to have playing time to succeed. And when my coach had that much confidence in, in me, I knew that he saw something special in me. And Coach Leonard Hamilton, when I was in high school, he, uh, he introduced me to the Garfinkel Camp, the five-star in Georgia. Milledgeville, Georgia. Yes, it was hot and, <laughs> oh, my goodness, I'm talking sweating hot, yes. And he asked me, he said, Leroy, I'd like for you to go to a camp. And I went to the camp dinner, and I've, I've heard that they already have the all-star team picked, the, the top ten players I picked before you get there. because it's Actually, all, they're invited Yes, because yeah. of that. Actually, If you come here, you get to play an all-star game. You get game. to play in the all-star game. So, so you sort of crashed the party. Crashed the party, had a great week of camp, and uh, I actually wound up being at 5-3, made the uh, top 20 ball players of the whole camp and got to play in the second all-star game. So then I realized, I said, hey, Leroy, and the couple guys that was on the court in front of me that was playing point guard, I had, I had outplayed them all week. So a couple guys that I met during the camps was like, Leroy, you do realize that these guys was already on that team before you got here. I said, no, I didn't. They said, that's why they're playing right now and you're watching them. I said, oh, got you. I got you. But I had an outstanding week, and uh, Coach Hamilton told me I'd done very well and I had a high rating, and that's when I said, hey, I know I can play Division One basketball because a couple of these guys had already committed to, like, Notre Dame and places like that. So this is between your junior and senior year? After, yes, my senior year. Junior and senior So years. take me through the recruiting process. Well, during recruiting I had all kind of letters, but they was mostly from mid, uh, small colleges like Northern Kentucky, Transylvania, places like that. And the biggest, the biggest college that uh, recruited me other than uh, University of Kentucky was UNLV. And that, Tark the Shark. Tark the Shark. It was an uh, assistant coach by the name of Tim Gergerich. He actually, Mr. Cunningham and a uh, – Tell me a little bit. Let so, me break in right Tell me a little bit about Mel Cunningham. Melvin Cunningham was a great, great guy. He helped this community so much. Him and Herb Washington through the Dirt Bowl. And they had a guy named Stickman who pushed, pushed the young cats also. And Mr. Cunningham kind of took me under his wings just like he took Melvin Turpin under his wings. And they actually made phone calls to UNLV about, hey, we got a kid in Lexington that you need to come and watch. And Melvin Cunningham was actually the one who got the, uh, the University of UNLV to come and watch me play in the state tournament. So uh, did Kentucky offer you a scholarship? or Out of high school, they didn't offer me a scholarship. And they actually, I understood why, because they had Dickie Beal already here. So I knew uh, they wouldn't take two guys. And he had three guys. inches on you. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't going to take two guys that was midgets on the same team. So I knew right then that I wouldn't be able to come to the University of Kentucky, which was always a dream of mine, though. But let, let, Let's circle around a little bit now and go to the one and year you spent at UNLV. What was mm -hmm. it like living in the Sin City for eight or nine or ten months? Well, it was very adventurous. Uh, you know, coming from Lexington, I never knew of a city that never shut down. It's like people sleep in the daytime, and at night everybody's up. And it was fast-paced. At UNLV, there was not a lot of uh, discipline. I can truly say that. We was basically being young men who had to grow up very, very fast. Were you on your own pretty on, much? Pretty much on your own. You lived in an apartment. You didn't live you know, in a dorm with the other players. You lived in your own apartments. 
But Tim Gergerich was our was assistant. He kind of kept a close eye. And my grandmother, I'll never forget it as long as I live, God bless her soul. When they left me there at UNLV, she told him, she said, you better take care of my baby. <laughs> and I'll never forget that as long as I live. My grandmother told him that. And he took good care of me and watched over me. And a guy named Dwayne Poldy, he was another freshman that became my best friend. So we was the only two freshmen on the team. And it was it was a, a wake-up call for this is the real world. Yes. How did the season go for you personally? Season went very well. Actually, I played more there than I did here. As a freshman, the only dilemma I had was uh, the starting point guard there was the coach's son, Jerry Tarkanian, Danny Tarkanian, yes. But I had a great year against him. I played against a lot of talented people at UNLV. It was kind of a immature decision to leave. As you look back on it, I was young. I was eager to be in the spotlight because I used to love how they introduced the starters. Was Danny a senior that year? He was a sophomore. Yes, so you had to so. be behind him two more years. Two more years. And Coach even actually asked me to redshirt a year. He said, Leroy, I would love for you to redshirt, and you could have this program for two years that's yours. And being young, and I had an ego and pride, and I was like, well, Coach, I'm better than Danny. You know I'm better than Danny. All the community sees that I'm better <laughs> than Danny. And he was like, but that's my son, Leroy, and he's going to start as long as he's here. And I respect him to this day because that man has never been dishonest to me. He, he was straightforward and told me the truth, and I respect him dearly for that. What was it like playing under him, just being in practice every day? Oh, it was wild. I had never been in a conditioning program, for one. And the condition, it's 110 degrees in you know Las Vegas, and we was running a track, and I remember getting sick just on the sideline, just you know, just letting it out, letting it out. And, they, and he was like, oh, he's okay. He's from Kentucky. He's from Lexington. He'll suck it up, and he'll be all right. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, do you care about me at all? And it took me a while to realize he knew my name because he was just – he was one of those coaches just put it straight So you were the guy from Kentucky. Guy from Kentucky, yeah, the bluegrass thing, you know, the <laughs> University of Kentucky, prima donna, you know, they, they treat us like that. So And everybody asked me, how, what's it like at Kentucky? You know, what, how is it like down there? So some reason they really – well, I know why. This is the mega, you know, so <laughs> I know why they do ask them questions. Uh, any particular game stands out to you in your memory of being at Vegas? Uh, the, the game that sticks out the most – well, I have two. Uh, the South Carolina game we was playing, and it was a pretty close game, and I had taken a shot that wasn't asked of me to take. <laughs> and I remember when I hit the shot, I remember when we came back. So you back, did hit it. I did hit the shot, and it was deep. And I remember coming to the side, and the Coach Tarkane looked at me. He said, you had better hit that shot. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. Is that sort of the shot that Rajon Rondo took to win the game when he was here on our <laughs> It probably was. <laughs> yes, I wasn't supposed to take it, but I just had that confidence in my game that I could take it. And uh, Coach Gerger used to say, he said, man, I don't know where you get your – your 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 grunt from, but you 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 are, are gutsy man. You are really well, now, gutsy. Now you had to be here when Roger Harden talks about his famous shot that he took to win a game what? against Auburn, I think, and said when he turned around mm-hmm. to go back down the court, mm-hmm. that Coach Sutton looked at him and says, Harden, you better not take that shot the next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing Roger, he took that shot the next time. <laughs> Roger kind of had his own thing. He, he he's a guy who I think. He had ice in his veins. I can truly say Roger. Coach would tell Roger, don't, don't you make that pass no more, and he'll come down the court and make that same exact pass. I'm like, boy, <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> but he just he had that kind of guts. And stuff. So at the end of your freshman year, you decided mm-hmm. to make a change. Yes. I, I went back after my – well, for my sophomore year, I went back. 
And uh, we was going to play Wayman Tisdale near University of Oklahoma on a Saturday. And we had had our red and white scrimmage game. And uh, it's just like the blue and white game here for the public. And I had like 28 points and two assists. And uh, we beat the starting five, like 104, 102. And we was in the locker room celebrating and having a good time. And all the players was like, they was telling me, Bird, you, you really played great, man. You've got, this was your chance to shine in front of everybody against who's in front of you. So I kind of took it personal to, you know, go at his son, go at him hard. And after the game, you know, Coach uh, Tarkanian came in the locker room and he was like, what was you doing tonight? And he was directing that question towards me and everybody just, you could hear a pin drop in the locker room and they was like, what's wrong? It's like, what did you call that, showboating tonight or something? What was going to your mind? And and all the coaches and players was looking at like, what is wrong, you know? And that broke me that day. It broke me. I uh, I never forget as long as I live. I left I left out of the locker room, and uh, I stood on the wall in the hallway. And uh, Coach Gergeridge and Coach Tate Tate Lock, they came out and they said, Leroy, you know, maybe this isn't the place for you. They said because mm. after what you did out there tonight and to get that kind of treatment, we think that you might be better off if you just go somewhere else so that's kind of the path that made me start saying okay this isn't for me so I called home and I was just gonna leave and there's a guy named Gary Graham and Ernest Graham he used to play for Maryland his little brother was my roommate and he had talked to me he said Leroy calm down he said man this is the worst decision you can make is just to leave he said because you'll have all kind of incompletes on your on your report. on your grades your academic on your grades he said so please don't just up and leave so I I hung around and I stayed and I finished out the year and of course Coach Tarkanian was calling my apartment wondering where I was and wanting to know why I wasn't coming back and I just told him I couldn't do it anymore I said I've given you all I've gotten and it's it's not gotten me what I deserve I feel like that I should be a starter on the starting five I know I'm good enough and you know I'm good enough. I said, but I do realize that's your child. I respect you for being honest with me, and I, I just feel like it's better for me to go on and transfer. So you went to? I went to. I left there and went to Wabash Community College, and I worked out with the team, but I wasn't eligible to play yet. And just went to a semester, and then I came home for the summer. When I came home in the summer, I started working out with the alumni coliseum with. University of Kentucky's basketball team. Coach Coach Leonard Hamilton had called me and said, Leroy, I don't want you out playing with a bunch of guys that really can't play and might be a little jealous of you or anything, try to hurt you or something. He said, I'd rather you come over here and work out with our guys. So I said, well, thanks. Thanks a lot. So so you, you never actually played a game in your sophomore year at UNLV? Correct. I left So over. So you, you were able to play pretty much immediately when you came to Kentucky because you had went to the junior college. Yes, when I went to the junior college, they, they had installed a new rule that you had to graduate from junior college. So before I could step foot on the University of Kentucky's campus, I had to go to Somerset Community College and finish up my uh, my hours. And the first year you were here would have been the second semester Eight, of 83-84. Correct. Okay, so you missed the famous trip that year to Illinois in the Christmas Eve trip. Yes, missed it. Mm-hmm. The 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 eighty three eighty four season was the renewal of the Kentucky Louisville series. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were two games while you were on the team. Well, one game actually, the mm-hmm. second semester. What do you remember most about the postseason that first year you were here? Not Louisville, a- Illinois, 
to go to the Final Four? Not a whole lot I, because when I came and I, my first practice here, I broke my jaw. I got an elbow in the face by James Blackman, broke my jaw. So my memories of the postseason was a little sad because I, when I did actually get eligible to play, I had to wear a mask. So mine was about pain and disappointment. How how, so, how much time were you out? Ooh, I, it's been so long ago. I don't I don't know how long, but I had surgery and I had to sit out. And then when I got back, I got to, I had to wear a facial mask to play in my first couple of games with. And, I, and they had in the paper that Leroy actually made it to his first practice, and this happens to him. And Coach Hall said he had seen why he recruited me because I was breaking the press and making good passes in practice. And he said, well, that's the reason why we got him here. So it looks like you missed uh, most of December. You played one game in December against Purdue. Okay. And then you came back and uh, you played uh, in January and February. In March – were you injured again? No. Okay. Um, we ask everybody this. What's your memories of going to Seattle? <laughs> Disappointment. Well, my my main memory was going in the locker room at halftime, being up, celebrating. And I tell you what was weird was watching uh, us play Georgetown because those guys, some of those guys, uh, Patrick Ewing, they might already played against at UNLV. So I was kind of like, wow, now I'm with Kentucky, and here's the same guys, but this is a bigger stage. You know, we had Final Four, and I, I just remember uh, playing them. They had a great first half. Jim Masters and all of them, they was playing well in the first half. And I just remember at halftime, it's just like we came back out, and it was a total different ball game. It's kind of like stage fright, it seemed like. What was the physicality of Ewing and, and Graham and Brown – particularly. Mm. They were pretty tough guys in the paint. I, I would say that was the key point of the game. It was like they just manhandled us. That Graham guy, was he was unreal. He really was. He was a pro. And Patrick Green was a pro. And it was I think it was kind of like they just took over and decided we, we want this a little more than y'all wanted. Even though mm. you didn't play very much that year, uh, mm. you become an instant fan favorite. Well, I, I – I, I really appreciate the way the fans have treated me since I was here in the, when I got in the game. But I always made sure that they saw that I wasn't just a a minute player type of guy. I wanted to show them my talent when I was on the court, so I made sure whenever I got in the game that I showed them something that I could really do and understand that a five foot three guy to get a scholarship to the University of Kentucky had to have something special in his ability. So I wanted to make sure they I wasn't looked at as a pity pity case, but I was a real basketball player. You come back uh, your junior year, 84, 85, which turned out to be Joe Hall's last year. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that year as it went along, and did you ever have any thoughts that he would retire uh, before that it actually happened after the game out in Denver, Colorado? No, I can truly say I didn't see that one coming. And I remember that night when we was all uh, after the game in uh, – in Colorado, when he did announce that he was leaving, everybody was kind of like, what's Coach doing over there? What's all them people doing around Coach and stuff? And it was kind of like we, we were blindsided. You know, it was like, wow, and they said Coach is retiring. We were like, Coach Hall's retiring? So we was in disbelief also. And here we are way out in Colorado. And we was like, wow, we don't have a coach no more? It was like, well, I guess we don't have a curfew tonight. <laughs> we can have fun tonight, you know. But it was it was a blow. We, did, we had no clue that it was going to happen. 
What do you remember most about the two years you were under Joe? What kind of a coach was he? Uh, what was your relationship with him? Ooh, the let's see. I could say, as him being a coach, he was very—he was a disciplinarian. He—he uh, he was a big man first, you know, coach. He believed in feeding the post, making sure the big man touched the ball all the time. And I—I kind of reversed my roles because I come from the University of UNLV, where it's run and gun. Man was here. It was like, whoa, Leroy, slow down. You make sure you get that ball in the sand, or you throw that ball to Kenny or Winston. Don't you just shoot this thirty footer? So it was a big adjustment, and we had a lot of – in UNLV, we had no discipline, put it like that. And then when you get here, it's total discipline. So it was night and day for me, but he he had every player's respect, the community respect. I mean, I used to get nervous around him, to tell you the truth. You know, Coach Hall, I was like, wow, it's Coach Hall, you know. So as he uh, – as I got away from the program in my older years and – met up with Coach Hall, it's unbelievable the relationship, the difference is. But then he was doing a job, and you see how much he loved you and cared about you when you become a man and you meet up with him and talk to him, discuss things. He's a genuine man, and I can truly say that he loves every player that played for him. Do you remember the weekend the Final Four was played here, which was Georgetown and Villanova, Memphis, I think St. John's was the fourth team that had actually beat Kentucky to get here. Uh, all the talk that was going on about who the new coach was going to be, uh, a couple of the players have told us that they actually brought around Lute Olsen in the lodge on a Sunday saying he was <laughs> going to be the new coach. Well, I didn't see that. I, wouldn't, I didn't remember that part. I was, I'm from Lexington. So every opportunity I got a chance to get away and go be around my family, I took advantage of that. So you didn't spend so, a lot of Saturdays and Sundays in the lodge? No lines. way, no way. I see these guys all week long, and I love my mother home cooking and my family. I love being around family. That's the most important thing in my life is family. So every opportunity I got a chance to go back and be around my family, I, I took advantage of it. When did you first meet Eddie Sutton, and what were your initial thoughts? Well, when I'm, he called us all in his office and we all talked, and my initial thoughts, I really didn't have any from the start. I didn't know anything about him. I wasn't uh, – I said I got a new, a new look in, at the season. I said, well, here's a new coach with a chance for me to have new opportunities. I said because he might be – he was a guard. I did hear that he was a guards coach, but he liked big guards. He had Moncrief and guys like that, 6'5 and 6'6 six, six guards. So I said, well, maybe I can – Get a little light if he sees me and give me a chance. You didn't try so to grow over another couple inches? I wish I could have. I would have stretched all I could. <laughs> yeah, he liked the big guards, but he gave me an uh, opportunity, especially in Hawaii when we was, went down there for the holidays and played ball, and we had some interesting conversations. And that was his first year here when you went to Hawaii? Yes, first year here, and I got to play quite a bit. And Actually, I played more for him my senior year than I did my two, two years with Coach Hall, but that was a different era, but – did it surprise you that Kenny Walker made the decision to stay that year under him rather than to go pro, which would have been a year early? Well, I don't know if it surprised me because Kenny's, Kenny's a great guy. He's a cut-up guy. You know, he likes being around his teammates. He's not one of those McDonald's All-American, NCAA All-Americans that's a prima donna. He don't want to be bothered. He's Mr. Everything. He's nowhere near that type of guy. He's the type of guy that you would think is just the last player on the bench when he's around his teammates. Great character, cuts up. So when he stuck around, I, 
I wouldn't be surprised. Now, by, by this time, you've been here three years. Mm-hmm. And literally thousands of people would hang around when the cats would be up by 32 with 12 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Cause they were going to get to see a little magic at the end. Of it. <laughs> First of all, awesome. tell me, how did you get the nickname Baby Magic? Wow. I want to say it came from high school when Magic Johnson was playing, and they used to see my passes and stuff, and guys were like, man, you like Magic Johnson, you baby Magic. So I want to say it came from like my senior year in high school, and that's where I got the nickname from. Did you enjoy mm-hmm. having that nickname all the years? I loved every bit of it because still I was, like it? I still love it. I was baby magic and I was a Magic Johnson fan. You know, a six ten guy could do what he could do with the ball, and then they considered me the little one. I loved every minute of it. Yes. Tell me a little bit about some of the games you played your senior year. Uh what mm-hmm. went into it, how much fun or lack of fun it was going down to the stretch. Mm-hmm. Well the I tell you, the humorous part of it was when I went on the road. I used to love – it was funny because the team, my teammates made fun of me and laughed at it too. They used to call me Tattoo, it's the plane, it's the plane. It was real popular back then. And we would go to Florida and <laughs> they would just get on me. So they would have signs up and we just look at each other and start laughing. I said, man, this is crazy. But you, but you had the but, great personality that yes. you thrived off of that rather than yes. – become intimidated by it. Yes, I, because I wanted to show them, even though I was that small in statue, that my game was much bigger. So I loved playing in front of those people, and then when they left that arena, they could truly say, hey, that guy can play. So I probably had my best game on the road in Florida. So, End of the season it. that year, that's a year you played LSU four mm-hmm. times. Yes. Home and home, SEC tournament, you played Alabama four times. Twice in a regular season, SEC tournament. In the semifinals of the region, you play Alabama. Mm-hmm. And you get them. Yes. And then you play Daddy Dale and LSU <laughs> for the fourth time. Yes. And it hurts. <laughs> that was my last day in a Kentucky uniform. But it was a gritty game, a good game. and It's hard to beat any, anybody you play four times. I don't care if how much better than you are. Eventually, somebody's going to get your number. Somebody's going to get lucky. And it doesn't take but one game once you reach it that far. And that's what happened to us. One game. Tell me what senior night was like, your senior year. Oh, senior night, it was chills running through your body. You know, the happy Chandler and all the people, your mother and your fathers and your sisters and everybody there on the court with you. And you run through this loop with your picture on it and you're singing and then you're like my goodness this is over you know you're thinking this is over and we all tease each other you know I, I bet every player does it to this day who's going to cry first oh I'm not going to cry yes you are no to see who breaks down and cries first but it's an emotional event and all the things just flashes through your head about wow time has just gone so fast but I'll never get to come out here again it's 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 very emotional very emotional you take your uniform off generally at the end of your senior year twice, once on senior day, mm-hmm. and then after the very last game, if you're fortunate to be in a tournament. Yes. Is there a difference in those two events? The difference is the regular season is your last home game in front of your fans, in front of your, your, your favorite people, you know, the ones who rooted for you and saw you grow up. Because when you come here, you are a baby, and when you leave, you're – almost a grown man. You're 21, 22, you know, years of age. So 
they watched you grow up and they nurtured you all the way through. So it's it's more emotional when you finish your last home game. And, of course, your final game. Your final game, that's when you realize that you're putting the tennis shoes up and it's, as far as being a professional, because we all have to be realistic. I knew I wasn't going to the NBA and playing in the NBA, and I just was wondering how my life would be. But I felt like I was good enough. That's, that's what kind of ego I had. I, I felt like I was good enough to play in the NBA. Actually, I did. I really honestly did. You went out with two other guys. I'm going to let you talk about them in just a minute. Mm -hmm. Kenny Walker and Roger Harden. Yes. I can start out. I'll start out with Roger. This guy was so confident. I respected him so much because me and Roger would almost come to blows at practice. That's how hard we play against each other. And I was like, this guy does not back down. You know, I'll, I know I'm smaller than him, but I would go at him as hard as I can. I would try to tear him up, do whatever I can, because I wanted his spot. I really did. But that guy was poised. He didn't back down. He get in the game. He played calm. He played cool. And I said, "Wow, this dude can really play." And he was Mr. Indiana. So, and and it wasn't a jealous. It wasn't a jealous uh, friendship. It wasn't like I wish I had his spot. You know, I wanted his spot, but it wasn't like I was jealous of him because he was so genuine and so nice that we actually were friends. I mean, it was like we had a friendship, and you can't hate on somebody when you friends with him. When he's playing in the game, I'm cheering for him. It wasn't like, oh, I wish Roger mess up. Please mess up, Roger, before I can go in. No, I wanted him to get tired for me to come in, but I never wanted anything negative to happen to him in the game. So that's how much I respected Roger. Kenny, I, I was kind of in awe with him because this guy's a freak of nature. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's not seven foot, but they triple team this guy. And he still get 30 points a game. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then in practice, people didn't see him in practice. Some of the dunks that he would do in practice, just laughing and acting silly with us, would just blow you away. I was like, wow, did he really do that? You know. So, Kenny, I knew he was a pro. I really did. I said, this guy's special. And, and when he won the dunk contest at New York when his father had just died, it was so emotional for, I'm sure, not only me, but all our teammates because – you know, we, he's a part of our heart, just like every one of our teammates is a part of your heart. And when we saw him win that and dedicated to his father, that was, that was something tremendously, you know, gratifying that we could say, hey, we there for you, buddy. We love you that much. What was the arena that you best liked to play in away from your home arenas at Kentucky and UNLV? What was your favorite arena? Well, my favorite arena, but I never got to play in these, is Madison Square Garden. I was, <laughs> I was a freshman at UNLV. And our team was going to play there, and I was hurt, and coach made me stay back and rehab my knee. So I never got to play in Madison Square Garden. I hate that to this day. But I got to play in our own, and we played in the Meadowlands. But I used to love to go down to a, a Vanderbilt. I thought that was so – but, yes, that court is weird. That, 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 it's always had a history of being a shooter's arena, too. Did you get that feeling? Yes, it's, it's, it's so weird, the background. And when you check in a game, it's like you're coming up on a stage. It's like you're – presenting yourself to the crowd. It's not like you just checked in the game. It's like, hey, I'm up here. I'm going to go in, and everybody's looking at you. So I, I liked the floor. I loved it. Most hostile arena you ever played in? Ooh, I, had to, I say Florida. They gave me the hardest time in Florida. Yeah. Tennessee's tough to play at, but Florida gave me a hard time personally. Best game you ever played? On the road in Florida. It was the best So game. you got the best of them. <clears throat> got the best of them, yes. Most forgettable game you ever played in? 
my first game. When I came here, my first game was against on the road against U, uh, University of Alabama, and they was pressing us, and the ball was getting thrown everywhere. And Coach Hall was like, "Leroy," and I hadn't played a second, not a minute for the season, and it was on CBS or NBC or something. And I wasn't in there like a minute, and I lost the ball like three times. I mean, <laughs> they had me trapped everywhere I looked. They was had uh, uh, Derek McKee. They was like yeah. six nine, yeah. six eight. They was just smothering me. And I was like, every time I looked up, I was looking for Jim Masters. He was on the other end of the court. <laughs> like Leroy, you can handle it by yourself. And I was like, man, I'm getting stuck down here, and I, I'll never forget that. And I was so nervous because I felt like. I had an opportunity to earn more playing time during that period, but I was like, wow. After I looked back on it, I said, this was really, it was really hostile and tough. It was a hard situation to be in. Best player mm -hmm. you ever played against, opposing player? Played against or just a player that was on the court at the same time as me? Played against the opponent. I'd say Sleepy Floyd at Georgetown. Smooth guard, very smooth guard. Best opposing team you ever played against? The Hoyas, Georgetown. Best coach you competed against? Mm, that's a good one. I didn't say John Thompson. He was brilliant. brilliant. The most exciting basketball moment in your career, high school or college? Most exciting. Well, my last home game was very, very exciting for me. It was a little nervous because that was my first opportunity to start senior night against Derek Taylor, who was a very, very good player. So it was kind of nerve-wracking at the same time. It was very rewarding because I got to hear my name announced, you know, in the starting five. It was very rewarding. Your biggest disappointment? Getting my jaw broke the first day of practice. That was, that was heartbreaking. Best decision you've ever made in your life, basketball-wise or otherwise? The best decision I've ever made in my life is accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Because without him, none of this is possible. I'm not even relevant in life without him. A good follow-up question, the most influential person in your life? My father, without a doubt. Very strong man. Doesn't say a lot, but when he says it, it's something worth, worth listening to, and he's been a perfect role model for me. Nobody's perfect on this earth, but he's been my most perfect role model that's as close as perfect you can get. You got a lovely wife. Yes. You had three sons. Yes. You lost one three, four years ago. Yes. Had to be a very difficult time, and you and your family. Oh, I, I, wouldn't, wish, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, you know, that – that situation right there is something that you have to live it to understand what it's like to go through it. And it's not a day, it, it was like a year that I, I could truly say that I've cried every day of my life, every day for a year. Your son had it's, been to church? Uh, been to church and he had to go to work, but before he had to go to work, he had left his wallet or his driver's license over his friend's house and he went over his friend's house to pick it up. and. We hadn't gotten home and uh, had a message on our answer machine that Jalen was late for work. And I was like, well, why would he be late from work? You know, he had been gone. And I was sitting at a stoplight on New Circle Road and Bryan Station Road by, by White Castles. And I'll never forget as long as I live. I saw his car go by on a, a flatbed, and it was damaged real bad. And I 
did a U-turn and went, and the, luckily the guy who's driving the tow truck had pulled into the gas station on the corner there. And I ran inside, and I said, hey, man. I said, that's my son's car. I said, where is he at? Where is he at? And he was like, man, he didn't make it. I said, I said what do you mean he didn't make it? He said, he said, mm. he said that he died. So he was just like, there's no way that you're telling me my son is dead. And then that's, that's how I found out. Our life has been totally different ever since that moment, but we're smiling again, and we're we're coming back up. And my my youngest son, we had to go get him. He was at practice, and to pull him and bring him, and I had to call my wife, and it was just it's it's an experience that I don't wish on anyone. From the people who know him, and I did not know him, yes, but he was really interested in art. Yes, loved to and draw. Loved he, to draw. he he debated, but. Between becoming an artist and joining the Navy to be a Navy SEAL. Well, he loved he loved that Army stuff, the Navy SEAL stuff. Oh, he loved that kind of stuff. And he had a good friend named Keaton and stuff. They would go out on the farm and do all his shooting, do a barn farm. He loved that kind of nature life. He was he was a happy-go-lucky kid. Man. It was nothing that seems like it upset him or shook him up. I mean, even when he was in trouble with me, I used to say, son, why did you do that? Or what was you thinking? And he would look at me and say, Danny, I don't know. And I, I would be like, what you mean you don't know? You did it, you know. And that was always his response. And he would be on a punishment or whatever, and it seemed like he would be fine right after. Very, very unique kid. I didn't realize. And he was still in high school at the time? Yes, he was still. He was a junior. He was 17. I never realized how kind he was to other people until after his death. And people was coming to us telling us things that he had done for him, And... I have to leave you with this also. I, this, is, this is something that, this is to tell you how God works. Me and my wife were so distraught because we thought that our son was there by himself suffering. You know, when he had the wreck, it was like, oh my God, he was there by himself. And during the visitation, a man came around as he shook her hand and he kneeled down in front of me and my wife. And he said, I want you all to know that I was holding his hand. And God confirmed to us that, hey, your baby wasn't by itself. And that, that was just so powerful for us. And I said, wow, he wasn't by himself. And he said, no, I held his hands until the animals and stuff came. So that, that was his angel. And that was God's message to us saying that your child wasn't there by himself. You know, I had somebody there with him. And that was, that was so rewarding to us to hear that from that man. Leroy, that's a very powerful testimony. So often... When families suffer a tragedy like this, there's two roads to take. Well, some some go the negative way and some go the positive way. My my wife made a statement to me one time. She said, Leroy, you know when things like this happen, sometimes, you know, the parents go their separate ways. They divorce. And I said, well, why would they divorce? I don't understand what the reasoning is behind that. She says because a lot of times one blames the other. The other one blames that one, and it's your fault, and it's this fault. And I, I was like, there is no way I would leave someone who's the love of my life and leave her in a situation where our child just died and go our separate ways. I said, this is what we're supposed to draw closer to, and we have a young child together also, and we, what would we look like leaving and separating? And he doesn't have a mother or father under the same roof than him, and the reason why we're not together is because our child you know, was tragically killed in a wreck. That would be living a false lie. And if we believe it was in Jesus Christ, then how could we do somebody or 
do that as a result of something that tragic. So that's doing the totally opposite of having faith in God. So our belief is, and my belief, and I know with all my heart up to this day, if you live right and accept him, then we'll see Jalen again. Tell me what you remember about these people that were both former teammates and people around the program and people on the staff. Uh, start with Bill Kiley. Bill Kiley, hilarious guy, very dedicated to the program, uh, someone that you would have to be around and get to know Mr. Wildcat, super guy. Walt McCombs. Walt McCombs, funny. Always have you laughing. Joe B used to make him so nervous when he come around him and stuff. We just laugh at Walt. Walt could uh, tell you, ankle look like your ankle's going to fall off, Leroy. And Coach Hall will come in and say, Walt, how's Leroy? Oh, his ankle's good, Coach. He's ready to go. <laughs> we was like, wow, Coach, you know, I thought it was going to fall off. Let's go down the coaches list. Jerry Tarkanian. Jerry Tarkanian. Hilarious guy. Hilarious guy. Honest guy. Straightforward. Joe B. Hall. Joe B. Hall. Disciplinary. Uh, well-respected, treat players great. Jim Hatfield. Jim Hatfield. A little more uh, rowdier than Coach Hall, I'd say. He, he used to get kind of riled up in practice, but he, he would give you his all, and he was dedicated to the players. Leonard Hamilton. Coach Hamilton. He was a great, great recruiter. He was a great friend. He guided me through high school a lot and helped me tremendously and directed my path towards my basketball career. Eddie Sutton. Eddie Sutton. He gave me a rebirth, I would say, in the basketball world. My, my playing time went up tremendously, and I had a new glow about the game with the University of Kentucky. James Dickey. James Dickey. Wow, his right-hand man, Coach Sutton's right-hand man, always energetic, boosting. He's a guy that stayed full of enthusiastic, enthusiasm. Jimmy Dykes. Jimmy Dykes, motivator. How you like his uh, TV announcing it's on ESPN? <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yes, I love to hear him talk. He Is knows he a what Kentucky Homer? About. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Bob Knight. Bob Knight. Mr. Basketball's uh, icon for doing whatever he feels like. <laughs> Dale Brown. Cool, calm, and collective customer. I like his style. Kaywood Ledford. Wow. Mr. Mr. Kentucky Broadcasting. Super guy, loyal, loving, loved, cared about the program tremendously. Ralph Hacker. Ralph Hacker, good friend. He's a good friend. I stayed close to him for a long time. A couple people that was always on the road as fans. Do you remember the old Kentucky Colonel? Steve Reardon. Steve Reardon. Very loyal. Very loyal. Something, Somebody you looked up to who could go to so many games and be so faithful and loyal to the program. Let's go through your teammates. Paul Andrews. One of my best friends right now today. James Blackman. James Blackman. Super guy. Very athletic. I'm so proud of his. His uh, children, one's in the NBA, and another one's supposed to be a great player also. Winston Bennett. Winston Bennett. Oh, what's Winston? Winston was muscles. Muscle. He was the enforcer of the team. Todd Ziegler. Todd Ziegler. Still talk to Todd to this day. Very funny. Charismatic. Yeah, yeah. That's Todd. Rob Locke. Rob Locke, the jokester. 
Very, very good guy. Richard Madison. Richard Madison. The most underrated player that's ever been here. Eddie Davender. Rest his soul. Super, super friend. Gritty guy. Hard to the bone. Irvin Thomas. He's one of my best friends to this day also. Irvin Thomas is a super hilarious guy. Tells you like it is and love him to death. Jim Master. Jim Masters. Jim is a clean cut image guy. Keeps you laughing. Derek Horde. Derek Horde. I see Derek quite a bit. Very classy guy. I think he's been he's underrated also. Dirk Manyfield. Dirk Manyfield's my hero as far as point guards out of Lexington, Kentucky. Charles Hurt, rest his soul. Charles Hurt, very good guy, genuine. Played against him in high school also, and he's a class act. One I got a special, special little place in my heart for, rest his soul, Melvin Turpin. Melvin Turpin, dear, dear friend. I I, I played with him in high school, and I, I remember our last encounter. He uh, picked me up one day and just spun me around out on Georgetown Street at a little restaurant on the corner. And that's the last memory I have of him. But he was always, always so jolly and lovely and a great guy. Dickie Bill. Dickie Bill was my best friend throughout college. And we reunited at the last, uh, the um, what they call the Midnight Madness. We all got together and stuff. And great guy, tremendous. Push me. Todd May. Todd May. Didn't know Todd May. Brett Barrett. Brett Barrett. Funny guy, hilarious. Him and Troy McKinley, two of a kind. Troy McKinley. <laughs> <laughs> Very hilarious guy, loyal, family man. Tommy Heights. Tommy Heights. Uh, Tommy's a hilarious guy. He can. He's a businessman. He's smart and intelligent. And I just talked to him the other day. Roger Harden. Roger Harden. Uh, Pitbull. Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie, gentle giant. Love him to death. He's a dear good friend of mine, and he uh, came around and said some very comforting things to me during the tragic of my life. Kenny Walker. Kenny Walker. Hilarious guy. Laid back. Have fun. He has fun. Enjoys life. And he's well respected. Cedric Jenkins. My best friend in the whole world. He, uh, He's been a brother to me, and there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for him and his family, and he knows how much he means to me. How would you like to be remembered by the thousands of Kentucky fans that love to see you wear the blue and white and play at Rupp Arena years from now? Well, during my playing day, I wanted them to remember when I was at the University of Kentucky, I gave everything to the game of basketball. I always gave 110%, and as I became older, that make sure that you – knew that I have Christ in my life, and he is the head of my life, and that uh, anything that anybody wants to do in the world, in the community, as far as being in their career or whatever it is, be positive, have faith, and all things are possible. Thanks, Leroy. Thank you for Been having me. It's been a pleasure. Me. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you.